so last week we uh, we were continuing our series, Lord of All, and we spoke about a wife's role in marriage. And I entitled last week's message, A Wife's Response. And this week, uh, I'm going to be speaking about the husband's role in marriage. And again, I've titled the message for this week, A Husband's Response. And I would mentioned last week that I've titled them this way because I want to frame what we're talking about um, in the gospel, right? How, how women respond to and honor their husbands in marriage and how men respond to and love their wives in marriage is ultimately going to be a response of trust in Jesus Christ. Faith and trust in Christ needs to be the foundation for all of the things that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 because it takes faith, right? As I said last week, for a woman to read, submit to your husbands as to the Lord and respond appropriately to that kind of a command. And it takes faith for a man to read, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her and respond appropriately to that command. And so the flow of the message this morning is just, I want to I lay the gospel foundation for God's design for marriage. If, we, if how we live in our marriages is to be a response to Jesus Christ in faith, then, then we need to understand what marriage is in light of the gospel. And then I want to talk about the meaning of headship for men, because Paul says in Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And so a man's role in marriage is tied to this idea of headship that reflects Jesus's relationship to his church. And so we need to understand what does that mean? And then last I'm just going to walk through the verses from 25 to 31, and I'm going to try and be really practical of what this looks like in a marriage. You know, Jeff Bromley, he said this, he said, As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage to the church. Marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his people. Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32, where he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. He says in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. And so Paul is doing two things in these verses. First, he is rooting the design for marriage into the creation story in Genesis chapter 2. Because verse 31 of Ephesians 5 is a direct quote from Genesis 2 verse 24. And Paul does this to show that marriage was created by God in the very beginning. Its design was pre-fall. It is woven into the purpose of humanity from the very start. And that was important in Paul's culture, and it is important for us as a reminder that we don't get to define marriage. God defined it already, and it is set. But he created it to work a specific way, established by him from the very first male and female. And Paul is rooting marriage in the creation story because in his culture, his culture was very different than ours. You see, while our culture rails against almost anything that is old, almost anything that is established, 
Our culture is driven by this prideful and this false belief that old means irrelevant. Paul's culture embraced old things. The older something was, the more established it was, the more value that it had. This was actually one of the challenges of Christianity because it was considered new and therefore it was considered untrustworthy in Paul's culture. You see, if you look at the first century, part of the main apologetic in Paul's day and the first century was the effort to root Christianity in Judaism to show that it's a continuation of Judaism, not a brand new idea, but a fulfillment of what the Old Testament points to. Because if people thought it was this brand new movement, not rooted in anything, that made it untrustworthy in Paul's culture. So he's rooting it in the creation story. So their culture was, if it's old, it's to be trusted. Our culture is, anything new is true. That's just the reality of the time that we live in. And so first, Paul is rooting marriage in creation. And second, Paul is pointing to the fact that in verse 32, marriage has a greater purpose than simply bringing a man and a woman together to have children and do life together. He says, there is a mystery to marriage that is profound. Now, when Paul says mystery, the idea of mystery in scripture is that there's a a hidden purpose of God in something that up until that point has not been known, but has now been revealed for our understanding and our good. So have you ever thought about the fact that marriage was created from the beginning Men and women have been entering into these covenant relationships since Adam and Eve without knowing God's entire purpose behind it. Like, yes, it was to help man and woman fulfill their purpose of having dominion over the earth, of being fruitful, of multiplying. But there was this greater meaning to marriage that was concealed all throughout early history, all throughout the Old Testament times until Jesus Christ came. And that mystery was revealed that marriage points to Jesus and his church. And Paul says this is profound. This relationship that God has made between Christ and his church and marriage. See, God had appointed prophets to foretell of his coming Messiah that would save his people. But what we don't often think about is throughout history... Before Jesus came, God had intentionally built into his creation from the very beginning a relationship that pointed to the coming Messiah as well. A relationship that reflected Jesus' commitment to his church. Have you ever thought about that fact that, that scripture uses the language of one body when it's talking about Christ and his church and one body when it's talking about a marriage between a man and a woman? 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And scripture says of marriage in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The correlation there, Christ and his church, one body, a man and his wife, one flesh. This is the gospel foundation of marriage. It is a reflection of Christ and his church. And from that comes this idea of headship that we need to look at. See, as we've 
We've just seen Paul in several letters, including Corinthians, Colossians, and Ephesians. He uses the analogy of the body to describe Christ in his church. In Corinthians, he talks about how we're all members of the same body, that each of us have different gifts, and in the same way that the body has different parts, there's ears and eyes, and everything is valuable, everything is needed. Jesus has his own part to play as the head of the body, as the head of the church, which of course means he is in charge of it. He is in charge of his body, the church. Paul says in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then Paul says in a similar way, he places that role on the man in marriage. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. So that that tells us something, men. That tells us that we should be looking to Jesus and we should be taking cues from how he loves his church to understand how we are to love our wives. John Piper, when he defines headship, he defines it in this way. He says, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for three things, Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. And I understand where John Piper gets that definition from, because just like when we looked at the wife's role in marriage last week and saw that the wife's role in marriage is a continuation of her role in creation as helper, The man's role in marriage is a continuation of his role in broader creation as well. So let's look at that role for a moment and then bring it into marriage using Piper's definition. See, God gave humanity a purpose in creation. He said in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God gave humanity that purpose. And then he gave men a specific role in that, and he gave women a specific role in that. And the role that he gave to men can be seen in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so we see in the creation story that the two main roles of a man is to work and to keep. Now that word work, it means to serve, it means to cultivate, it means to till the land, right? So as a man is working, what he's doing is he's he's helping to cause growth. He's helping to bring forth fruit. So this is the goal of a man's work is to bring growth, to cause fruit, right? If you're a farmer, we have a few in this church, you understand this, right? You cultivate, you till the land to help give it what it needs to grow. And then from the land, you receive your provision, you receive your food, you receive the fruits of your labor. And so men are called to work in a sense of causing things to grow and be healthy. And then men are also called to keep And this word means watch and preserve and guard and protect. And so looking at that, if we bring that into marriage, where the man is the head of the wife, headship means leading your family 
in a Christ-like servant leadership, which will be done in two primary ways. You will provide, you will work, and you will protect, you will keep. And this is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a servant leader. Jesus himself declared, I have come to serve, not to be served. And we see this all throughout the Gospels, Jesus serving people. It's most evidently seen in the washing of the disciples' feet. And of course, on the cross, when Jesus goes to die for our sins. When we look at Jesus, he did two main things. He provided for us. He provided himself a sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to die on the cross, to cover the sins of those who would believe in him for all of eternity. And he protected us. He protected us from the wrath of God. He protected us from the effects of death. And he protects us from the accusations of Satan. And so Jesus is the servant leader, the provided and protected. And the call for men is the same in marriage, to be a servant leader that provides and protects. The call to lead through provision and protection, men, is both physical and spiritual. Some men, we, we get so focused on the physical that we forget about the call to provide and protect for our wives and our families spiritually. But the call for men is not just about the body, it's about the soul as well. We're called to protect and keep both. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. That is the definition of servant leadership. It is the willingness to give yourself up for your wife. It is all about what you can do for her, not what you can get from her. See, what's so interesting when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you see the same thing last week when we looked at the call to women, that Paul in these chapters, in these verses, is not at all concerned about our rights. He's concerned about our duty as husbands and wives. See, we live in a culture that demands rights. But Paul's concern in the biblical narrative is, no, you, you live out your duty. Don't fight or push for your rights. And so as husbands, Paul's not worried about that. So, you know, this is your call in marriage. Live this out. We are to live in a way that give ourselves up for our wives. So this means that our wives' needs come before our wants and desires. And again, as I said last week, this has to be in a healthy relationship. Right? Like a man can't be constantly laying his life down in an unhealthy relationship where the wife is abusive. It can go both ways. It's more rare. But if the wife is just constantly taking advantage and being abusive towards her husband, that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about in a healthy relationship. As husbands, our wives' needs are to come before our wants and our desires. Having our wives' needs in mind is our call as the head in our home, 
And as I say that, the wives are like, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. I like it. And it is, but I don't want you to think that I'm talking about something fluffy, right? Where, where we're talking about pampering our wives all the time. Like there's a place for that. There's a place for pampering our wives. They should know how much we value them and love them. But it's not always about ensuring our wives are comfortable. In fact, meeting our wives' needs can sometimes mean she needs to be uncomfortable. Now wives are like, well, I don't like where this is going. This is taking a turn. Right? But if we are to emulate Jesus, he is gentle, but he's not often comfortable. Because he wants us to bear good fruit. Right? That requires growth. And growth is often uncomfortable. So as husbands, our role is to provide for our wives' needs in a way that helps her to grow physically healthy, spiritually strong. And so this requires a husband's discernment in order to understand what our wives need sometimes. We should have straight A's in the study of our wives so that we can lead her into what she needs. See, there will be times in a marriage where what our wives need may not be what our wives want. And as the head, we need to lead her lovingly into those things. And to do this, we need to trust and we need to listen to the voice of God at times over the voice of our wives. The question for men is, is God turning your head in the direction you need to go or is your wife? See, and women, don't worry. Because if God is turning your husband's head in the direction that he wants him to go for your family, it will ultimately be for your good. Maybe challenging, maybe uncomfortable, but it's for your good. So men, we have to understand there's times where we absolutely listen to the voice of our wives because God has given them to us as a gift. I remember years ago, I had a prophetic word spoken over me. He said, hey, I had a guy come up to me and said, hey, listen to your wife. She has wisdom in areas that you don't. I'm like, absolutely. And part of being a good leader, part of being a good head is understanding where your wife's skills lie, where yours absolutely do not, where your wife has more discernment that you maybe don't have. So there are absolutely times that you should listen to your wife. But there are times where we listen to the voice of our wives because we're being passive. And there is a strong warning about this kind of passivity in Genesis. You see, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, who did God go to? We know this. God went to Adam, right? After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, he goes to Adam and he holds Adam accountable. And when he communicates the curse over humanity, over Adam, as a result of his passivity, as a result of his sin, God specifically says in verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Right? God had spoken to Adam. And Adam followed Eve rather than God. And the result was not good for him. And the result was not good for his wife. 
So men, we have to have discernment. There can be a curse when we, like Adam, are passive and listen to the voice of our wife rather than what God has told us. What God says is the direction we should go. There will be times your wife may not be overjoyed about it. And it is your responsibility to discern God's voice. See, it's always nice when your wife and God line up, but they won't always. Just some other ways in which we give ourselves to our wives. One of the biggest ones in marriage, men, is, is communication. Like talking to our wives. Right? And for some men, like that means you have to crucify your flesh. Like men aren't known to be the most talkative compared to women, but we have to crucify our flesh, communicate with our wives, talk with her. Like that is a massive part about cultivating the soil of our wives' heart. And some wives are so starved for intimate communication with their husbands. It's like a desert in their hearts. And we have to crucify the flesh and talk to our wives. In intimacy, men, there is no space for selfishness. Intimacy should not be one way. We look to the needs of our wives. In our time spent, we should not be spending our time video games, entertainment, all of these things being made a priority over our wives and over our families. Now, if you're here and you're not married, I want to ask you a question as a man. How is your self-control? Because you will not be able to give yourself as required in marriage if you do not have control over your desires now. You can't give yourself the way you have to in marriage if you don't have control over your desires before you get married. If your desires are what drive you and, and you don't know how to deny yourself your own pleasure, then it's going to be very hard to deny yourself for the good of your wife. So train yourself up in self-control now. If you're not married and you want to be, if you live an indulgent lifestyle, you will not be prepared for a wife. You can't live unto every whim and then expect that you're all of a sudden going to be able to lay down your life in your own wants, in your own desires for another person's good. It doesn't happen that way. You have to train yourself up for that. It has to start now before you actually need to do it. Master your desires. Don't let them master you. Paul continues, verse 26. Paul talks about Christ's purpose in his love toward the church. And I think from this, we see the man's purpose in loving his wife well. Paul says in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Christ is loving his church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So in the same way, a husband should have his eye towards his wife's eternal soul and provide for her and protect her unto that end. 
right? Like we don't take verse 26 completely literally because we are not Jesus Christ. We don't cleanse or sanctify our wives, but there is a principle in this verse that is relevant to us because similarly how Jesus is the one who sanctifies his church and cleanses her and washes her with the word. Husbands have a very significant role to play in our wives' sanctification. We don't sanctify her, but we help lead her well in relationship with Jesus. So this can mean a few different things for men. Like, men, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be the one urging your family to church. It shouldn't be the other way around. If your wife has to drag you to church as a follower of Jesus, that's not okay. Men should be the ones urging their wives and their families to go to church. That's leading them well. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian man, that's not expected of you. It's just amazing that you come with your wife. But man, we should be taking the lead on bringing our families to church. We should help ensure that our wives are in the word of God, whether it's reading it to her or making sure that she has the space to be with the Lord. Men, we should absolutely be praying with and for our wives. And if you're not sure what that looks like, then I would say just start with Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. Right? Paul prays for the church. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with the, all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, if you don't know where else to start, like start there. That's a great place to start. Like, Lord, would you just fill my wife with the riches of your glory? You would grant her to be filled with your power through your spirit in her inner being so that she, that Christ may dwell in her heart through faith, that she would be rooted and grounded in your love, that she would have the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. That's a great place to start in praying for our wives. Then the, the last thing I would say on, on what this looks like is leading her in ways of righteousness. Right? So men, like, this can mean things like entertainment choices, things like that. Like, we, we should not suggest things to our wife that will take her from Christ. You know, like, hey, let's watch this movie. Let's watch this show that is clearly not okay to watch. Like, I think we will answer for those sorts of, I'm sure we will answer for those sorts of decisions. We should be leading her in ways of righteousness. And so do not suggest things that take her from Christ. And at the same time, don't be like Adam and watch her sin. Speak up. Like when you see something in your wife's life or you know, entertainment that she's watching or something like that, and you know it's not okay, it's your duty to say something. For her good, for the love of her. Jesus sanctifies his church, and men, we have a hand in helping to sanctify our wives. To the purpose that he says in verse 27 so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, I believe, men, that. There is going to come a day where we are going to present our wife in a way 
to Jesus Christ. Each one of us has to stand before Jesus individually. But as we stand before Jesus, we will have to give account for how we stewarded our wives, for how we stewarded our headship in the home, how he led her into the glory of Jesus Christ. And I want to present my wife to Jesus, as it says, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy without blemish. I want to play my part in that so well. See, your wife is responsible ultimately for herself, but we are responsible for how we led her, how we handled one of God's daughters that he entrusted to us. Paul ends, verse 28 and 29, says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So we see a very important principle here, verse 28 and 29. And it points us back to that reality that a husband and a wife are one flesh. Paul says, to love your wife is to love yourself because you are one flesh in marriage. See, the the Bible's a bit different than the world. The Bible doesn't say you need to learn self-love. The Bible already expects that we love ourselves too much. And it says you need to love your wife as you love yourself. The love you have for yourself will be reflected in the love that you have for your wife. So man, the principle that we have to be reminded of in this is that for me to mistreat my wife means I hate myself. If we mistreat our wives, it is rooted in our own brokenness, it is rooted in our own self-hatred, it is not her fault. To the degree that we fail to love our wives well, it reveals the degree of our own brokenness and our own need of redemption through Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to keep in mind. So let us love our wives well and lead them well as daughters of God, knowing that we will stand before Jesus and we will give account for how well we loved one of his daughters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your design for marriage. Thank you that it's beautiful, Lord. Father, this is why it's so sad to see a world that is trying to redefine marriage. Because the world doesn't understand that you've created it a specific way to reflect your entire plan of redemption for your creation that it is rooted in the beautiful picture of Jesus and his church. 
Father, thank you that you have given us a bigger picture than just a man and a woman. That you have given us that picture of redemption through Jesus Christ. Father, as, as men who know you and love you, I pray that, that we would follow you in this. That we would look to Jesus as our strength, as our help, as our example in how to love our wives. Father, help us to lay down our wants and our desires for the sake of loving her well. Father, may we live our lives in the same kind of spirit that Jesus did, that spirit that we see in Philippians chapter 2, where it says he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself lowly. And so, Father, I pray that we would not be men who demand our position, but we would be men that that recognize the responsibility that comes with our position, that we wouldn't demand our rights, but we would live out our duties. Thank you for the gift of our wives, Lord. Father, when we get it wrong, and we know we will, may we come before you, ask for forgiveness, get up and keep going. Lord, I thank you for just the gift of marriage. And Father, I pray for those here who, the men here maybe who are not married, who want to be. Father, may they begin to learn now what it means to have self-control. May they not give over to every whim, but live according to how you call us to. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us. And thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray.